dear dear listeners, and welcome to a, <laughs> another uh, exciting episode of the Left on Red podcast. Uh, I am your host, Evan, joined as always by my co-host, Cam. Hi, that's me. Yeah, and uh, we are here with a uh, returning guest, Alexander Herbert. He is a PhD candidate in Soviet history, author, and co-host of the Providence Leftist Radio podcast. Alex, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, what's up? Coming <laughs> yes. Uh, so Alex right now is actually in St. Petersburg, Russia, and uh, we wanted to bring him on today just to kind of uh, talk about <laughs> everything that's going on in Russia and Ukraine. So Alex, what's uh, what's it like in St. Petersburg right now? What's the scene? It's trying to draw a comparison so that you can understand you so that people can understand really. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like. Uh, the 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 feeling amongst people here is sort of like immediately after 9/11, you know, mm-hmm. like just a moment of complete shock, kind of disgust in in what what is happening, you know, regardless of who who's going to blame who or whatever, because you know the the relationship between Ukraine and Russia is like uh, two brothers, you know, mm-hmm. like the they share a common history, uh, they share a common ancient history, and so average Russians see this aggression this invasion and they just they can't understand uh how it is i mean a lot of them have family members still in ukraine close and distant relatives in ukraine that are affected that are being evacuated you know even uh i was at the protest in st petersburg last night um there was a lot of people there a lot of people being arrested as well Hmm. but a friend of mine was telling me that today while he was walking down the street, he overheard two cops talking to each other. Uh, they were like talking about how shocked they were and they couldn't believe it. And then one of them said, like, I never thought that I would be a pig. And I was like, well, <laughs> well, well I mean, I think he meant it in like, I never thought uh, I would be the aggressor in right, that yeah. kind of situation that I would be responsible for it uh, rather than like a pig and how we use it to talk about cops. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's crazy. So I was actually going to ask about about protests um, because you know we're seeing some pretty crazy footage from a lot of the major cities in Russia right now. Mm-hmm. Um, big turnouts in in Moscow and in Saint Petersburg. And I was going to ask about the arrests. You know, I I, I have this natural inclination um, to assume that that sort of narrative is is that sort of authoritarian seeming narrative is is really played up in American news media. Um, so I wanted to ask, like, how how legitimate that is, how how real the sort of crackdown on those protests is. And it sounds like there is like a pretty sizable response from from police. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a weird coincidence that I noticed. I, I have two friends from Nizhny staying with me right now. They, mm-hmm. They're like my best friends. They come no matter where I am in Russia. They come to meet me to, to hang out for however many days. But um it's been a coincidence that every time I've been in Russia has been a time of like big protests. Like mm-hmm. two years ago, I was in Moscow for big protests. Two years before that, there was another big protest in 2000. Uh, I think that was 15, uh, 2018. And now this, uh, the difference is all of those other protests have been in the summer. And this one is uh, mm-hmm. smack dab in the tail end of winter, which is very unusual. 
but it is generally true that since about 2012, maybe a little bit before that, uh, the Russian state machinery, the Russian government has really what Russians call tightened the knots uh, of of uh, punitive military uh, force and cracking down on this kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the the what you're seeing on the news about people being arrested, about you know whole buses. Never mind paddy wagons. These are entire buses that yeah. are rounding people, throwing them in buses. Uh, all of that is very real. I think in St. Petersburg last night, maybe like 100 people got arrested or something like that. Um, it was, I, th- I mean, compared to what I'm seeing in Moscow, it was relatively tame. Because like I said, St. Petersburg is just kind of a different different beast altogether. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the protests are real. I... I uh, I got carded by a cop, and then when he saw my passport, he was just like, just get out of here. Just, just don't be here. Right? Yeah. So I just left. Like, leave the protest, not leave Russia, although yeah. maybe he does want me to leave Russia too, but he was like, just get out of here. Yeah. I was like, all right, yeah. cool. And, like, was, following, was... Uh, uh, following the uh, consulate and, you know, family members, everybody back home, Family friends are all messaging me and being like, "Are you leaving soon? Because <laughs> shit's real right now. <laughs> like it's yeah. getting dangerous." But, but St. Petersburg, again, like I said, is is sort of a different city. Um, it's not on the border of Ukraine. First of all, it's an an oceanic city. That means that if shit does hit the fan and for some reason flights out of Russia are are locked, I can always get on a boat and go to Finland. You know, mm-hmm. it's right there. Right. Uh, it's it's window to the west, so I got access. Yeah, cool. well, that's good to hear, man. Um, that was sort of like I guess I don't know about like a follow up, but um, I was going to ask like what your sense is being you know not just a, a foreigner but being an American in Russia right now is that something that like are you kind of just laying low and sticking to like people that you're friends with? I know you said you have friends with you right now, um, and kind of trying to like you know, keep your head down as far as, as where you're from? Or, or do you feel like, like you said, St. Petersburg is kind of different. Like, is it just not as big of a deal? Um, do you feel like there's like a, like an anti-American sentiment right now that you're kind of worried about or, or how do you feel? Not in the circles that I hang out with. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I, I do go to like some state institutions like the national library, the national archives, those people there are, are really nice too. They're all kind of academics, and the people that work in those institutions are all against the war too. So, for them, it's not that bad. Um, I I wanted to go somewhere else just for like vacation, just for a trip, like to Lake Baikal or something like that, or or uh, I don't know anywhere else, Kazan. Um, but yeah, my friends here. Uh, they they were like, if we could, we would go with you, but we don't recommend you going to like a provincial city by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have a Russian with you mm-hmm. if you go to one of those cities, or even if you go to Moscow. Um, but in Saint Petersburg in general, yeah, I I feel completely safe. Uh, like I said, I, I I hang around when I'm not in the archives or the library. I'm like in the punk scene, and you know that all of those. People are like right. totally against the war, protesting and everything. So, uh, yeah, I feel safe, completely safe with all of them. Good, that's good to hear, man. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> there was something else. Unlike was... Redding. Right, yeah. It's less safe at Redding than it yeah. is right I... now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually wanted I wanted to ask you about that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I know you uh, you had posted about it on Twitter, and you uh, def- the post definitely gained some traction. So what, what went down at the uh, Redding Library this week? So, yeah, I want to preface by saying uh, I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but I am one of the board members of Red Inc. Although I, although I gave up my decision-making uh, powers, I guess, while I'm gone. I sort mm-hmm. of gave it to somebody else, but I'm still, like, conferred and consulted about things. And, uh, you know, I, like a lot of people from the media reached out to me to try to give an interview, but I kind of directed them to the practicing board members right now. Um, but... Yeah, Red Inc. had organized uh, a reading of the Communist Manifesto to celebrate the anniversary of its publication, but also to participate in Red Book Day, which is an international event uh, where where uh, leftist libraries across the world. We had people in, in India who were doing it. There were people all over Europe that were doing it with us. Uh, and then little old Red Inc. and little old Providence, Rhode Island was doing it, too. Um, and... We we understand at this point, I mean, on my part, I always sort of su- suspected and anticipated that something like this would happen. I mean, you're, you're a leftist library that holds like very explicitly communist and anarchist literature is bound to get some yeah. traction from right wing people. The thing that I regret is that we didn't address the possibility of that before it happened. Yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, there were about five or six people in Red Inc. participating in the in-person reading uh, when, you know, like a gang of like, I've heard different numbers, 15 to 20 neo-Nazis bearing the flag and the the swastika and everything. Yeah, yeah, the death side flag. He came and started pounding on the windows and stuff like that. Uh, So one of the members of Red Inc. went out to like try to tell them to go away. He got socked in the in the jaw, Damn. Um, but but he knew he saw that uh, you know these guys are all wearing body cams, and so they were trying to provoke a yeah. reaction, right? Right. So they edit the video and put it out there as these radical leftists that were being violent. Uh, so dude socked him, and instead of reacting, he just got up and went back in the library and like closed the door. Yeah. And. And then went to the front of the library and finished reading the Communist Manifesto, despite <laughs> all that, the cool. last part. Uh, so it was a very triumphal moment, I think, for, for that member. Uh, although, like, you know, in the video that's out there, um, there's certain, I guess there were certain parts where their face is seen. And so right now they're trying to really lay low and not... Yeah too much attention on them because of all the media coverage and shit like that yeah so you know that that happened um it my initial reaction like i said i'm still consulted about everything and and i right after that i had called for i called for an emergency meeting to devise plans for collective security in the future uh so we're doing that saturday uh, and that should be it should be a good meeting. We already have ideas in place. I will say that, like, uh, thanks to these Nazi idiots, 
uh, Red Ink, as you said, as you said, the the tweet got like retweeted thousands yeah. of times. Yeah. And thanks to that, we've had like a pouring in of donations and subscribers uh, from like all around the country, everywhere, like people in Texas and California becoming members and stuff like that. So between that and donations, we've gotten now enough money to pay for just about all of the security things that we want to get. Uh, so essentially, these Nazis paid for security. <laughs> so that rules. Thank- yeah. And they and they put us on national media. So yeah, uh, I saw I saw the New York Times had uh, uh, wrote a story about it. Although of course you know I uh, I saw a lot of takes about it too from uh, you know people whatever on Twitter and everything like that saying like oh well you know while while they don't uh, um, support the Nazis you know attacking a bunch of peaceful communists just reading some literature they thought you know they did also want to specify that the you know communists kind of had it coming and it's just like. The fuck, it's just people just sitting there in a the library reading a book and still, you book. know. Yeah, it's a book, regardless <laughs> of, you know, uh, regard, it, first of all, it is a book that doesn't, you can't compare it to Mein Kampf, for example, because Mein yeah. Kampf is actually advocating for real violence against people. Yeah. Or in ethnicity, so there, there were people that are like, uh, uh, communists or Nazis, it's all the same killers, and it's like, yeah, but... You could you could make that argument if you want. It's not true, but yeah. uh, it's not the same either because one of them is explicitly in its founding text advocating for violence, and there's nothing in the Communist Manifesto that is explicitly violent. Yeah. Now, revolutions don't have to be violent. Uh, just because Marx uses the term revolution, workers of the world unite, it doesn't mean like execute every Jew that lives in your state so you could have that revolution you know it's not the same thing at all yeah uh, so drawing that analogy is, is fucking dumb but um <laughs> we we did get we got a lot of so when it first happened and i first shared it there were uh news reporters and people who retweeted the tweet and they would write something like local library gets a reading interrupted by neo-nazis and you know, that really pissed me off because, and I told everybody in the executive board, I was like, if people ask you for comment, if people ask you for an interview, people ask you for video footage that we have, like make sure that you only consent to it if they are explicit about what we were doing. Like I want it to be known out there that we were reading the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. Because even though, like you said, you're going to get people on Twitter and shit that uh are gonna talk shit about us for reading the manifesto i still want people to know that there is a library where we are reading it you know that that is serious for me and that lets people know that like communism isn't redundant Mm -hmm. it's still here you know it still exists there are still practicing communists and you can come to red ink and be one if you want but but also also reiterate that like we don't just cater to communists too we have anarchists that uh host events there um mm-hmm. the dsa usually hosts their events there you know so it's sort of leftists of all stripes it just so happens that because we were sharing the image of Karl marx for red ink day uh, red book day that's what these neo-nazis saw and that's what compelled them to come yeah that yeah, was wild yeah, it's definitely a wild story, but it's it seems like things worked out about as well that, as they could, you know. Sorry that someone had to get 
bopped in the nose, but um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it seems like uh it seems like that sort of led to the kind of outpouring of support that can really help an organization like that. So Yeah, for real. A, a, they, a they true luckily, sacrifice. They, they luckily missed his nose. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> they got that that was what he said to me. He was like I can't believe they missed my nose. I feel yeah. so thankful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been punched in the nose. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, glad things worked yeah, out as well as they did. Past, been a crazy past week. Uh, yeah. Pi week has just been like so much stuff going on. Totally. Uh, once. And then being being here for a fucking invasion of another country. Mm-hmm. Uh to the extent in Europe that we haven't seen since World War II, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've seen, like, bombings in Kosovo. We've seen stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, like, a full-scale invasion with tanks and shit like that? Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, some of the footage that we're, we're getting of, you know, just, like, swarms of helicopters, you know, over Kiev and over the suburbs, you know, and, like, missiles going off in people's backyards, you know, just in, like, totally just peaceful benign looking neighborhoods it's 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 wild man yeah. it's um and something that i've really taken away from this is like war in the age of like tiktok and instagram reels is fucking bananas yeah it's, yeah, it's just people fucking like live streaming their houses getting yeah. fucking <laughs> like just shot to pieces yeah yeah I've, there's there are so many live streams right now just from the ground in ukrainian cities um and I just feel like that's a level of kind of personal access that it's kind of alarming in a way. And, you know, I guess I want to know sort of what you guys think about this. But, you know, on the one hand, there's what I would consider to be like the normal measured reaction to that, which is plenty of people being like, like, holy shit, this is insane what we're seeing. But there's also like a, a huge amount of like callousness around it. A lot of memes, yeah. a lot of like yeah, uh, real detachment, you know, people being like, you know, you know, I, I saw this particular stream from this this Ukrainian person, and and he was having a panic attack as he's filming, and like, because there's bombs going off in his neighborhood, and he's crying, and all the comments are being like, "Dude, don't be a pussy. What are you crying for?" Like, and it's just like, wow, like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's just such a bizarre lens uh, yeah. onto, like you said, you know, the a scale of invasion that really hasn't been seen in in eighty years or so. It's it's. It's wild, man. It's uh, I don't know that we're like uh, as a society cut out to, to maturely sort of me- or me- give a measured response to something like this, and it's really we're bizarre. See- we're seeing that we're not right. We're seeing yeah. that NATO yeah. is essentially a paper tiger, and that the sanctions that uh, NATO and its member states are able to put uh, on the situation are mostly affecting the people in Donbass yeah. and Luhansk. It's not really. Russian oligarchs all that much, although the newer sanctions, uh, I think, are are hitting some oligarchs. But, you know, like I didn't want them to cancel this uh, Russia's participation in the SWIFT uh, financial system because, uh-huh. you know, that has links to certain banks and Visa and MasterCard and shit like that. I didn't want them to do that because I have a bank account here. Uh, so it would have messed me, too. Uh, but, you know, luckily they didn't. For my own personal business, but if I could have thought, if I could think of any sanction that would really hurt Russia, it would be that, right? Because then mm-hmm. restricting any foreign capital really uh, from the West in particular of going into Russia, flowing through Russia. So they you know, they didn't do that. So I don't I don't know what the purpose of NATO is, which like 
Which brings me to another point, right? Because something yeah. that I'm seeing on on social media is a lot of really well-meaning leftists almost being like Putin apologists. And mm-hmm. the, the reason is because like America is obviously a fucking evil empire. We all yep. agree that America has done some bad things, but that doesn't mean that all of America's enemies are good guys. Yeah. Sure. So like, yeah. Russia yeah. can be just as evil as the United States can. Putin, not Russia, I take that back. Yeah. Putin can be just as evil as any leader of the United States can, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and Not one or the other. Yeah, and the real people who pay the price with all of this are just the, you know, the normal working class people of these countries. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and that's the people that get hit hard by the sanctions. The only thing that this war is doing, which is, I mean... It's just, you know, it's a global chess game. You know what I mean? It is a geopolitical chess game going on between, you know, the oligarchs and Putin and Russia and the powers that be in America. And the people that have to pay for it and suffer for it are just the normal, everyday working class people in the, in, you know, in Ukraine and uh, in Russia. And it's just. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. A typical Russian oligarch doesn't have all of his or her funds in a single bank account. They have yeah. their money spread throughout Europe and different bank accounts. So if you're going to hit an oligarch with sanctions on their money, like it's a fraction of their money. It sucks for them. I'm sure right. they're like, oh, and there goes a million dollars. But, <laughs> but you know, they got another one to turn to. So it really not yeah. hurt. Right. These aren't people that got where they are by being stupid. I mean, that that's – I was having that conversation with, with somebody yesterday about like, you know um, – so, so many people that I've spoken to have talked about, you know, this invasion and, and, and the thought behind it and, you know, how insane or how stupid can you be? And it's like it nobody gets to this point, right? Not Vladimir Putin, not, not any of these oligarchs. None of these people get to the point where they are by being stupid, right? You might be able to you might you might be confused by their motives. You might feel um, like, oh, this is crazy. Like, how could something like this happen? I never would have expected this. But you know these are these are people that have have really entrenched themselves um, in Russian society and in Russian politics in a way that's not going to be easy to impact, especially from you know NATO's. Per, you know what I mean? Like, what, what, how much could we do to really impact them at this point, right? Like, so yeah, it just seems it just seems like kind of an insurmountable an insurmountable obstacle. You know, these people that are. The one, the one uh, historical analogy that I think bears some credibility is um, before before this entire crisis like really unfolded, before the actual invasion, people were comparing the back and forth and the tensions to uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, that you had a leader of the Soviet Union who you know was kind of goofy guy, but relatively respected at that point uh versus his american counterpart and um neither of them wanted to look weak to their country yeah um so all of them were doing everything that they could to try to maintain the facade of strong leadership of standing up to to uh the other one and ultimately the way that the history books are written uh kennedy won that right kennedy came out on top Make Khrushchev look like a weak, weak link. And to this day, historically, we're thinking about the legacy of 
uh, Khrushchev, people in Russia and even the Soviet, like ex-Soviet people, they all hate him. They think that he was weak, that he wasn't really a, a good communist, that, uh, you know, he's even he's not even buried with the rest of the Soviet leaders. He's buried in a, a cemetery outside of Moscow. Um, and so like Putin is aware of that. His his historicism in a lot of ways that we saw in his speech was completely bogus. But he is at yeah. least aware of that uh, if he if he uh, backed out and looked weak. Russians wouldn't, you know, the Russians that do still support him. There are 40 percent, by the way, of Russians support the war. Forty percent. Jesus. Uh, mostly, mostly people in the provinces and stuff like that. Uh, and some, some in Moscow, too. But if he had backed out, he would have lost all of those people. Right. They would have said you're weak. You, you know, you, you chickened out. So I so what what is going on right now, I believe, is Putin saying, like, I mean, business. And right. now you see that I mean business. And not only that, but the United States has supplied Ukraine with hundreds of millions of dollars in weaponry over the past since 2014. Yeah. Uh, why? out in one night all of it gone wiped yeah. out in one night and you know it sucks for ukrainians but it also sucks for americans because it's making all of us think like why the fuck are we bothering to do that yeah, sure. if if we don't even have the capacity to to help the country survive um i don't think that putin wants to colonize ukraine in like a mm -hmm. classic imperialist way uh, I think that right now he's just flexing his muscle in the, the best possible way that he can think, which is uh, to take it, to take it. And then whether he imposes a a new leader in Ukraine or whether he just forces Zelensky to to sign a treaty that is a non-NATO membership treaty mm -hmm. uh, or fire or whatever, that's what he's looking for. And, and the, from the looks of it, that's probably what he's going to get, because nobody in the West is going to really yeah. come to Ukraine's aid. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the real get for Khrushchev in that whole thing was the, and it was like a secret agreement. You know, he, you know, as he took the missiles out of Cuba, uh, the United States took their missiles out of Turkey. And, you know, I think, you know, some of the calculus for Putin here is, you know, he, he doesn't want NATO, you know, ICBMs like right on his doorstep. So I definitely think, you know, that that's part of it, too. But, you know, it's also kind of, you know, how would the U.S. react, you know, if Russia, I mean, we already know how they reacted once when Russia put uh, missiles like right right on their doorstep. So, you know, it, you kind of have to, like, keep that in mind as well. Yeah, it's like a tug of war over a buffer state. You know, it's just it's it's all about having a nice cushion there. Yeah. And, I mean, that's wars have been fought over less than ukraine for the same reason forever so it's it's yeah. this is all pretty i mean looking at it just from a historical perspective it's it's it seems like pretty classic you know mil military politics um just fighting over having that that buffer there yeah there's a material analysis that we can put to this too because um i don't know how closely you've been following it but china has sort of mm -hmm. been in the background of everything that's going on of yeah. both uh, kind of playing both sides, right? Really weakly condemning Russian aggression, but at the same time saying that they understand what's going on and, and yada, yada. Uh, Russia and Ukraine, I mean, since 2008, maybe around there, since the financial crash and the real pivot of, of 
Putin's foreign policy away from Europe, uh, Russian and Chinese relationship has gotten a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a whole lot of uh, economic agreements on uh, oil and natural gas pipelines that are to go from Russia to China and to Europe as well. Um, and, you know, Ukraine is right in right right within the, those paths of, of movement. And Ukraine itself doesn't really manufacture anything of value to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is, as you said, it's it is a borderland. It's a place in between. And it always has occupied that really shitty position, mm-hmm. quite frankly, Ukraine or Poland, both of them. Uh, and so there is some incentive on Putin's part, economic incentive to have Ukraine be a, a, a good player, mm-hmm. play along with these economic developments that are that are strengthening the Chinese-Russian partnership. Um, it's, even though he claims like, oh, we're defending Russian nationals and Ukraine is full of neo-Nazis and yada yada. It's like, you know, first of all, as we saw in Rhode Island, neo-Nazis are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there are no doubt, especially in southern Ukraine, uh, large numbers of nationalistic peoples who are constituted in their own sort of militias. Mm-hmm. No doubt they exist, but but are they like uh, approved by and helped by the Ukrainian government? Probably not. Definitely not. You know, Zelensky is Jewish. I don't know how he could back neo Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, nationalistic. Maybe because when your neighbor is a country that historically consistently doubts your existence, that you have a basis of existing, you'd probably get a little bit nationalistic, too, and be like, yeah, we do. And we do because we're Ukrainian. We're not Russian. Right. Right. Ethnically Russian. Um, So. That that's another one of those leftist hot takes on social media that I've been seeing. And I'm like, and it's not neo-Nazis versus Putin. It's, it's different than that. There's a material analysis underneath all of this that we really, as Marxists should be considering, right? That's mm-hmm. the more fun. It's not about ideology. It's not, it never was about ideology. They're all, they're all the same, right? They all yeah. are capitalists pretty much. Um, it's about economics, about oil and gas pipelines, again, having a safe route through Ukraine. And um, that's why China's role in this whole thing has been super interesting to watch, too. The way yep. that they're navigating in between condemnation so that they look good to the West, but also like subtle, subtle yeah. acceptance of what Russia is doing because they understand. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's... Uh, um... You know, it, it, it makes sense that, you know, in the months leading up to this invasion, China and Russia were definitely making a lot of overtures about, you know, maybe not quite formally in a military alliance at this point, but definitely that things are potentially heading there, you know. Yeah. There's a there's a also a, uh, you know, as you were saying earlier, like Putin is not an idiot. Some people think that. Mm-hmm. That he's an idiot and he's just directed by other people. He's not dumb. Um, and so I don't know if you read or listened to uh, the speech that he gave like three nights ago, I think. Yeah, I did some uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah, same. Right before the actual invasion where uh, he he claimed that uh, there's a lot of scary parts about that speech. But the <laughs> historicism was probably this, 
the, the <laughs> fake historicism was probably the worst part, uh, claiming that Lenin created yeah. Ukraine, uh, which geographically speaking, you might be able to make the argument that Lenin gave uh, uh, recognized Ukrainian nationality within a certain border. Yeah. He sort of gave them territorial integrity. Uh, but Lenin did not create Ukraine. Ukrainian national identity had existed for a very long time. Um, I mean, and even one of the biggest opponents of the Bolshevik regime when it first came to power in 1917 throughout the Civil yeah. War were the Ukrainian peasants, yeah. right? Leftists, we all know that. Everybody's heard of Nestor Makhno, right? Mm-hmm. The Ukrainian nationalist peasant leader who led a black army against the Bolsheviks. Yeah. Like, uh so to say that Lenin created Ukraine is just bullshit. But what he did, and this is the reason why I say there's some genius behind that, is because in saying that, he essentially blamed the Communist Party yep. for what's going on right now. And if you saw the last Duma election, if you look at the numbers, you notice that the Communist Party had won more votes than, than they had since the 90s. Yeah. And so Putin understands that. You know, communism is coming up again in Russia. People are starting to think about it. People are voting for the communists. Uh, and so saying that was a yeah, you sort of have to know Russian politics to understand that saying that was a way of condemning his opponents mm-hmm. and that they did that. Um, and that, that leads me to something that I've been hearing from a lot of uh fairly uninformed people, sort of a, a hot take, if you will, that's um, getting bandied about around me a lot. Um, I keep hearing people say, uh, oh, look at Putin. You know, he, he he's just trying, he, he wants to reform the Soviet Union. He wants yeah, to I regain just... the, and I don't know if, if everybody is thinking of that in terms of, you know, a socialist state, or if they're just talking about retaking the territory. Um, but that comparison keeps getting made. I've heard it, you know, um, I've seen it, you know, on the little uh, chirons on, on news. I've, I've seen it on Twitter. I've heard people say it around me. And I, I just wonder where that comes from. And I wonder, you know, just what your take is on that. I mean, to me, that sounds kind of, kind of, kind of batshit. But um, yeah, is that something that you're hearing? Like, is that is that a narrative that that exists there? Or is that totally uh, just... So I think what Putin misses about the Soviet Union is that it had a very obvious sphere of influence and geographical reach mm-hmm. uh, across all the peoples in the former Russian Empire, right? Uh, in Georgia, in the, in the Caucasus more broadly, uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, in Ukraine and parts of Poland, Belarus, uh, the Baltic states, and even in uh, Central Asia. It had a geographical reach and political influence. Um, does Putin want to reimpose socialism? No, not at all. No way. It's not in his at all. He and wouldn't be able to explicitly have anti-communist. Yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't be able to have the palace that he has. Does he want to reconstitute it geographically, like in terms of colonizing the Baltics again and getting Estonia to only communicate in Russian again? I don't even think he wants to do that. Right. He wants favorable politicians in each one of these countries so that he can maintain what was the Soviet sphere of influence because uh, it brings more money to Russia. It brings more geographical access for pipelines and for oil lines. It, it has all of these benefits for Russia uh, while maintaining 
capitalism. So it's almost like Putin wants to reconstitute the Soviet Union uh, in form, but not in content. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, make, you know that makes saying? a lot more sense. It's um, I think people just get they hear Soviet Union and they get really confused. That's just something that I wanted to kind of touch on. Um, that was sort of the takeaway that I had as well. But um, I also had uh, we were talking about China a minute ago. And um, just to sort of keep rolling with um, hot takes that I that I keep hearing. Um, and this <laughs> is one that I'm not quite sure how I feel about. But um, something that 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 I've heard, um, you know, around um, is this idea of, of the precedent that Russia's invasion of Ukraine sets uh, for Taiwan and for, you know, um, you know, if the West isn't willing to step in and give any sort of real support to Ukraine as, as, a, as, a, as a buffer state and as a, you know, a sovereign nation, how does that bode for other, you know, nations in similar situations and the one that keeps coming up is taiwan what 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 do you guys think about that what's the what's the what's the thought there i'll let evan go first <laughs> um yeah i mean i don't know it's uh you know it, it's interesting i think pretty clearly russia kind of smells some blood in the water in terms of you know yeah I, you know uh, you, you mean you mean China? These, China smells blood in the water. Well, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm going to get to China, but you oh. know, Russia. You know, they saw the opportunity that you know, with all the posturing of NATO, that that you know, uh, they didn't actually think that NATO would respond, which is why they're taking Ukraine. So I, you know, I have no idea whether or not China is going to see the same thing with Taiwan. I I don't really have too much of a take on that, but it's more something that I'm finding interesting to watch just kind of that that yeah. little chess game between between the powers seeing you know if they can kind of dip their toe in the water and i think i think that's kind of what russia is doing just seeing if nato has it in them to respond at all or if they're just going to back away and they're all talk and then you know we'll see what china does but yeah i don't, I don't really have much of a take on on that i think that there may be some truth to that mm -hmm. uh, i think yeah i i mean i i'll yeah, because we were talking about uh, China as being sort of the, the elephant in the room of all this mm -hmm. stuff. And it's definitely true that uh, China is looking on critically, but also in, in terms of, you know, what are the real tangible consequences of an act like this? And, mm -hmm. and does the West, does the United States have the muscle, have the ability and have the will, right, yeah. the financial will right. to really punish countries uh, who act as aggressors in that way. Uh, and obviously they're seeing no, right? Because, you know, uh -huh. the, the, the UN called an emergency Security Council meeting to discuss Russia's actions in Ukraine. But guess who the leader of the Security Council is at the moment? It's Russia. Right. So it was like Russia was calling an emergency meeting to talk about what we just did. It's a joke, right? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the same thing they're seeing now applies to NATO. How willing uh, would NATO be to actually providing act, like actual help to Ukrainians, not just uh, armaments or whatever? Uh, and they're seeing that, you know, they're not really willing at all. Yeah. Uh, how that applies to, to Taiwan, I'm not so sure. Uh First of all, I think that there's a little bit of racism in this because yes. if China does decide to invade Taiwan, 
uh yeah a lot of people mostly academics leftists stuff like that will be like pissed and upset and shocked and you know do the retweets do the the re uh memes and everything that that they all do um but i don't think they'll exercise as much care and financial uh power into uh defending taiwan in the same way because yeah you know it's it's not europe i guess right mm-hmm. there's no analogy to be drawn between world war Two and what would happen with the taiwanese invasion by china but i also think that uh i don't know it's it's not really in china's best interest right now to mm-hmm. to do an invasion like that i mean the the genius behind chinese foreign policy in a way has been that since the 1990s really they've managed to wrap their tentacles just about everywhere that you can imagine in the world i mean look at everything that's made everything in the united states is made in china we're so tied financially yeah. uh, to china and as is the rest of the world and increasingly will be right we're talking about pipelines with russia and stuff like that so china has really managed to uh impose itself in just about every sphere of economics that you can imagine uh in the past 30 or so years um so that when they need to they can squeeze it right the question is when will they squeeze it when will they want to squeeze it and when will it be in their interest to squeeze it and how will that squeeze look right it's not yeah. going to be china's not going to fucking invade the world right um but it can be that when the west imposes sanctions on a country like russia China can step in and make those sanctions redundant by yeah. more investments into Russia, right. right? And then the money just flows. Instead of flowing from the U.S. to Russia, Russia to the U.S., it just you're just adding a third party. The money right. flows from the U.S. to China to Russia, you know? Yeah. So uh, there's there's a lot, you know, a lot of people think that China is like the, the evil dictator uh, that's also not so smart. But I think that there's a lot of... Um, population on their part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I don't know about a Taiwanese invasion. That I did. I woke up this morning and I looked at like the Russian news, and then uh, you know I saw that Israel had bombed Damascus, and I was yep. like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like everything. Yeah. yeah. And didn't we we did airstrikes on uh, the U.S. did airstrikes in Somalia? Am I getting that incorrect? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and and I, all this stuff just that ties back, I think, to your point about racism. I think that there's just yeah. a, an inherent uh, people are shocked to see, you know, a European nation being invaded. All the World War II analogies yeah. keep rolling in, and um, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I think you're right. I think that that does capture um, specifically white American minds uh, to to an extent that we just don't devote to. Other things. That being said, this is this is sort of on a different scale. This is this is yeah. clearly something that's bigger in scope than than something we've seen in a long time. But yeah, it is it is kind of interesting the different yeah. kind of coverage it gets. Yeah, and I also think you know I don't know maybe this is just my experience, but um, I find oftentimes when you talk to older people too, people that grew up during the Cold War, I think uh, you know anti-Russian racism is also, I think, like, a lot bigger in the United States than I think people give it credit for, you know. I've heard, you know, uh, just, like, older people just say things where it's, like, basically they see Russians as just, like, inherently untrustworthy and, uh, like, devious. 
I, I'll, I'll know. Do you guys ever, do you guys like feel the same? Cause I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people, it's just, there's definitely like an inherent anti-Russian sentiment with a lot of people in the United States. I, I mean, go ahead, go ahead, Cameron. I, well, I was just going to say, I, I, I don't know that I encounter that personally. Like I, I think, mm-hmm. I think I, I, there's definite anti-communist sentiment, um, anti-leftist well, yeah. sentiment, anti-Marxist sentiment, um, anti-socialist sentiment. Um, and, and I'm sure there's a certain amount of overlap, you know, um, I think a lot of us grew up seeing, you know, um, like James Bond movies, for example, where for like a little while, like every time a movie came out, the villain was, you know, Russian or, or from some sort of post-Soviet state. Um, or like the John Wick movies, right? The John Wick (laughs) movies, you know, we have this, you know, it sort of shifts from being, you know, uh, communists explicitly to being these sort of like mobbed up russians so so maybe there's uh there's an element of that especially in media that that trickles down to people but like just like day-to-day life i don't really find that that's the case you know i i know a lot of russians i know ukrainians i know you know what i mean people from those places that are great people and i don't see them getting like teased for it you know what i mean it like on a, in a very simple way you know like like you might there's a, there's a... So I was also going to bring up the media bias that sure. definitely exists in movies and shows like James Bond's shit like that. That absolutely reinforces the idea of Russia and Russians as the evil empire, as the mm-hmm. Zaro version of the United States, right? It's always been yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, you also got to consider that, like, the majority of politicians in the United States who are in positions of real power – like Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, uh, uh, Chuck Schumer. Uh, uh, what's the other the the Republican leader of the Senate? What's his name? Oh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch. Mitch McConnell. They all lived through the Cold War, right? And they yeah. all understood uh, the dynamics of the Cold War. They were all vehemently anti-communist because they had to be uh, in the Cold War, and because they are anti-communist. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, they're still in power. So right. their view and how they were raised, how they were brought up and, you know, they grew up in the 50s or 60s knowing about uh, ducking for bombs and stuff like that in school. Like that that's all still in their memory. Whereas like politicians that are our age, are a little bit younger, can condemn what Russia is doing. But also it doesn't come from a place of like deep uh, inherent suspicion based on right. like all that shit. So, so, you know, I don't want to use any names, but certain people can say like this Russian invasion of Ukraine is terrible, but, uh, let's not lose focus about what's going on in the United States right now too, you know? Um, or yeah, the invasion is terrible. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, but it doesn't come from a place of cold war bias. Right. So many of the so many of America's problems, I think, are generational problems um, yeah. that it just it's the fact that the problem in the late Soviet Union uh, was that all of the leaders were old heads. You know, yeah. like they weren't they weren't the first Bolshevik generation, but they were at least like the second. You know, Brezhnev was practically dead in the final years of his of his rule. And it, that carried over. And Dropov, Nenko yeah. were all really old dudes. Gorbachev was the youngest one. That ever came to power in the Soviet Union. Uh, he was and, like in his fifties, right? So it's not right, even like yeah. he was a young dude. 
It's a sign of an <clears throat> ailing empire. Because the yeah. same thing happened in Rome, too. Sure. Uh, when when a generation cannot acquiesce power to a younger generation, like real power, not just House of Representatives, then it's a sign of an ailing empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that, you know, in our last presidential election, we were left with two old men. And yeah. in order to win, one of those old men had to make a promise to to promote a not old white man. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. only reason Joe Biden won was because he was willing to say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll choose a person of color, a woman of color to be uh, my VP. And it was yeah. like, what? What kind of like uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not showmanship, but what kind of uh, pageantry? Damn. Yeah. Not the word, but also applies. Yeah, like what kind of uh, uh, just damn? There's a word for it. People who who promote things on social media just to look good. Oh God, I don't know. Yeah, I, I lost the word for it, but you know what I mean. It'll, yeah. it'll come to you in six hours, and you'll wake up and be yeah. like, "Fuck." Yeah. Um, mentioning the presidential election, uh, uh, that's another sort of undercurrent. Um, that's really um, prevalent right now um, on social media uh, in the in the news. Um, I'm sure you read, you know, Trump's statement. You know, if I if I'd been in power, none of this would have happened. Blah blah blah. Um, of course, like neglecting to mention that one of his impeachments was over refusal to send aid to Ukraine in the first place. But whatever. Um, we already talked about how that aid was sort of impotent to begin with, but there's there's a real uh, I'm I'm getting really nervous that there's like a real um, sort of right wing response to this, wherein they're saying like, see, see, this is why we need someone strong. That's the, this is why we need our guy in power. Um, you know, this this sort of flawed notion that you know if there were someone different in the White House, you know, some you know, right-wing reactionary Republican or whatever, somehow we would have, you know, John Wayne'd the shit out of this situation and, <laughs> you know, sent 100,000 Americans to die. And, and you know, there's there's a legitimate uh, call for that. You know, there's there are people that, that want that, that think that that's what's good and that's what's <laughs> right. Um, and I don't really know what my point is, I guess, just to say that I'm, I, I, I'm worried that this is going to be like a like a Jimmy Carter Iran hostage scenario where it's like realistically no matter who's in charge this fucked up situation was going to be this fucked up situation NATO was going to be impotent the US probably wasn't going to overextend ourselves militarily here um but I'm worried that it's going to create this real uh push to the right um do you guys have any thoughts on that uh, it's something that I'm just concerned with well, you know, I, I think one of the things that looms over this whole conflict, too, and, you know, is part of the calculus, probably, of both sides, is that, you know, there's sort of the elephant in the room of, you know, uh, thermonuclear ICBMs, and that, you know, sure. if if there's, you know, if the United States gets involved in, like, a legitimate declaration of war way with ground troops against Russia, like, there's sort of like this, that kind of, like, haunting specter that, like, if this starts to really turn for one side, would they... You know, <laughs> quite literally go for the nuclear option. And I think that's part of the reason where it's like it's in the interest of both powers to not get directly involved with each other like that. You know, so yeah. I don't really think that the leader of the United States quite matters because no. it, 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 I, I don't think I, I mean, I don't know. The United States is fucking insane. 
And, you know, I gave the <laughs> anecdote about fucking Richard Nixon getting drunk and ordering a nuclear assault on North Korea and yeah. fucking Henry Kissinger belaying it until he sobered up. So maybe there's there's a madman who would do it, but, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's more the illusion of something like yeah. that happening that's uh, concerning. I think that yeah. that's what people cling to. I don't know that there's an actual chance of, of, of anyone making a difference. I think that's just a narrative yeah. that's being spun. Yeah, exactly. And it just yeah. has me. It just has me a little shook. Did we? Is Alex frozen? I think so. At first I thought he was just gazing intently, but... <laughs> I know. Then I was Alex, like, he hasn't blinked for a while. All right, well, that's we can edit this if we have to, but it looks like yeah. we might have lost our buddy Alex. Hey, look who it oh, is. Hey. Damn, sorry, guys. No, no worries, man. It's cool. Yeah. We, were, uh, we were at about the hour mark anyway. I was just going to say before uh, before you froze out, I, I don't want to keep you you know too much longer. I'm sure you've got stuff going on. Um, unless there's any, any, anything specific else that you wanted to add to the, to the conversation, I certainly want to give you the opportunity to do that if you'd like to. Well, well, before I lost connection, Evan was talking about the possibility of the nuclear option. Uh, yeah. if, if the United States were to commit boots on the ground or, or commit any more to it, uh, and you, Cameron, were talking about, um, so, so as Marxists, we talk a lot about contradictions in capitalism um, yep. that that maybe are maybe a lot of capitalists don't even realize as a part of capitalism. But I think that there are contradictions in the American political system that people in power are very aware of, and it serves them. And I think that one of them, one of those contradictions, is precisely that 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 uh, the parties are able to change places repeatedly because. The party in power can be blamed for what's going on here, yeah. and the party not in power can claim, okay, we'll we'll fix it next time. We saw it with the pandemic, right? It played yeah. out that way, that, that mm-hmm. Trump and Republicans were incapable of, of addressing the pandemic, and so therefore Democrats can do it. Democrats won power. Democrats are there now. Now the same thing is happening. Yeah. <laughs> different, different political uh, events, different political cases, but... This is what keeps the two parties in power, right? Mm-hmm. It's a constant push and pull uh, of we can do better than them. They can do better than us. And, you know, that's one of the flaws of American politics, like fundamentally on a systemic level, I think. Yeah. Is, uh, nobody's surprised that Donald Trump said if he were president, he would have done better. Um, yeah. But it is sort of sickening to see uh, something like Ukraine, where like you know, a lot of people are dying because of this. Yeah. Be politicized in in a real way that like Donald Trump don't give a fuck about Ukraine or Ukrainians, no, no. at all. And honestly, Americans don't either. Well, like you know what yeah. I mean? Like Americans don't give a fuck about Ukrainians. Well, that takes me back um, to my point. He, like seeing these live streams on TikTok and yeah. and the amount of memes, the amount of people just being like, ha, ha, ha. yeah, this is like real Call of Duty. It's just like yeah. how fucking well, out there can you be? To, to not realize that what you're seeing live is is wild and yeah. horrific and scary and like these people are 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 afraid for their not just their lives but their everything their reality yeah, and, is being shaken and I mean you know like Ukraine like you know Americans don't give a fuck about Ukraine because Ukraine has always been just a chess piece uh, between the United States and, and Russia you know there's a direct line from the reunification of Germany and Reagan and Bush won. Uh, uh, assuring Gorbachev that NATO would not expand 
um, you know, any further after the reunification of Germany. And then, I mean, obviously that was a lie. They immediately began expanding it. And then, you know, and it goes right to like the Euromaidan revolution in 2014, which was, you know, backed by the United States. It put a pro-Western government in Ukraine. And that's what led to, you know, the, the Russian invasion of uh, uh, Crimea, the annexation of Crimea. And then, you know, the um, the uh, the Donbass region uh, declaring their independence. And, you know, all of this has just been, you know, it, it's been a chess match between Russia and the United States. And Ukrainians and Ukrainian people have just found themselves being, you know, eating the shit of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah, Ukraine is is the the unfortunate victim of both sides of this, which uh, goes back to the point I was making about leftists with bad takes um, mm-hmm. um, about what's going on and, and being like borderline Putin apologists uh, just because it's an opportunity to critique the United States, which you know that's a it's a flawed way of thinking I think, mm-hmm. and it belies the very like if Marxism itself has a moral basis, you know, everybody knows Marx didn't really talk that much about morality. It wasn't his yeah. business. He's a materialist. But if it does have a moral basis, it is that people deserve to to live comfortably and to live equally. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, praising what Putin is doing under the false pretense that all Ukrainians are Nazis, which they're not. Yeah. Uh, it belies that that very moral character of Marxism. Your your response as a Marxist should be to condemn war, no matter what. Yes. Uh, and and uh, that's what these these warriors are getting wrong, unfortunately. Now, yeah. 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 The people that pay for it are your class. They're, they are the average working class people. It's right. not the oligarchs who are on the front lines. You know, it is people working. Working their everyday jobs, people, uh, you know, a lot of people in the military, they're just working class people as well. Um, yeah, and I think people are losing. So, I mean, that's the military on both sides. That's that's yeah. the guys and the gals in the Russian army and and in the Ukrainian defense forces. It's it's they're all fucked. They're all getting completely put through the meat grinder for yeah. for what you know. Um, that the the last point I guess I'll make is is on the on the idea of leftists with bad takes. I think there's a lot of us out here who have to admit that. Yeah. I I know that when when Evan reached out to you to have you on on this week, uh, I don't think this is the conversation we thought no. we were going to be having today. Is that were you any less surprised than we were that uh, that this actually materialized? I mean, I in the last week or so started to kind of come around and talking to friends who had been in the military, things like that was starting to kind of think like, fuck, this might actually go down. But I know like right up till the end, you know, Evan and I were kind of in disagreement on that. And a lot of leftists were, were, you know, laughing at this. Um, First thing I did Thursday morning was text cam uh, (laughs) a picture of a crow. And I was like, yep, eating uh, this for breakfast. Cause (laughs) right up till Wednesday, I was like, there's not going to be a full scale invasion. Well, you were like, dude, you're an idiot. There's no way. (laughs) Don't be stupid. Yeah. And then, Egg on my face. <laughs> so, yeah, no doubt. I I did not I did not think that a full scale invasion would happen. But uh, I woke up on Thursday morning with two Russian men in my apartment that saw the news before I did, and they were all like, "Fuck," because they didn't think that this would happen either. Yeah. Uh, they also had no idea that Putin would be so bold to do it. 
And then, like I said, especially not against Ukraine, like literal family members there, you know, yeah. it, uh, shared history, all that stuff. Uh, so I didn't really have that much time to think. I mean, I did. I, I think I made like a tweet that was like something like I admit I didn't expect this to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I knew that the the dick measuring contest would go back and forth between Putin and Trump. But I eventually thought that some kind of peace would be brokered between them. Didn't expect a full invasion, but didn't really have that much time to think because my the two friends here were like embarrassed. Yeah, They're not yeah, Putin yeah. supporters by any means, but they were like. I can't believe my country is doing this like right. <laughs> on a global scale. The whole world is watching Russia right now act as uh, such a uh, an aggressor, uh, a punitive aggressor for, for no reason. They're showing um, their whole ass, man, their whole <laughs> ass. And and the word and, you know, a lot of people post <laughs> and they keep saying that, like, Russia is doing this. Russia is doing that. And, you know, they're like. I didn't vote for Putin. You know, 40% is not a majority of people that support the war. Um, and most of those people that do actually support it, support it for the wrong reason, because Russian state media is like not good at all. Yeah, yeah. It's, all it's all pro what's going on. Um, but the smart Russians, the, the actual um, red and educated and politically conscious Russians all of them are in shock. You can't believe that what's going on is actually happening. Yeah. Especially for their country. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sad state of affairs. Yeah. All right. Well. That's thing that I should reiterate to your listeners. Yeah. Uh, try to police your language a little bit, and instead of saying Russia doing this, Russian doing that. Put the blame where it belongs. Put it on yep. Putin. Putin mm. is Yeah, I mean, I, I think Evan and I could definitely do that too. I'm sure we said Russia a yeah. lot during this show. It's hard not to, but yeah, you're, you you make a really good point. Um, the I Russian did too. people, yeah, yeah, the Russian people don't deserve blame. And I hope that you know we were talking earlier about like anti-Russian sentiment. Um, mm -hmm. I hope I'm sure that there will be an element of 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 that that increases after this. Um, and I hope that our listeners keep in mind that, like, you know, it's, it's like it's like Alex said, like, 40% is not a majority. And most of the people mm -hmm. that are in that 40% have been duped. And, uh, you know, so no, no hate for Russians, folks. Yeah. You don't you don't got to like Putin, though. He seems like it seems like <clears throat> a big dick. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I yeah. think that this is probably a good place for us to, to kind of wrap up, um, mm -hmm. if that's cool with you. We really appreciate you taking so much time. I know that uh, it's a little later there with the time difference. So thanks so much for, for coming on again, man. That's we, we loved having you yeah. back. This was, you know, maybe a more serious conversation than we were <laughs> hoping to have. Yeah. I know we wanted to get some laughs, but. Yeah. All right. Well, Alex, uh, you got some stuff to plug. You want to plug anything? Uh, we will be, we will have an episode of PLR podcast mm -hmm. this weekend, uh, with an organization called Weber Renew. Uh, but we will also have, uh, our other host, uh, who was at Red Inc. during the shit that happened. He'll, he'll be on and he'll talk a little bit about his experience and what happened there. Um, so you can tune in to hear like firsthand what happened 
what, yep. what's, what's going on to address it, yada, yada. Um, also, I do the Rhode Island History Podcast now, yep. less politically oh, yeah. oriented. You know, I've had people on whose politics I don't agree with, but they're historians of Rhode Island. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you could check that out. Um, but basically, that's all I got to plug. Cool. All right. Well, Thanks for having me on. Thanks for giving me the, the microphone. I'm by no means an expert in Ukraine. I, I, I will preface, well, not preface, I guess I'll epilogue by saying that uh, I am not an expert in Ukraine. I'm an expert in, in Russia in particular. Even my own dissertation work is on uh, the Russian Socialist Republic. But like I was saying, those the two countries have such an intertwined history that yeah. you kind of you learn to understand that deep relationship um, no matter what. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex, again, thank you for coming on. Um, you know, we really, we, we hope you stay safe out there. Uh, you know, as uh, you stay in St. Petersburg for a while longer. Um, and uh, again, yeah, th- thank you for coming on. And our, our thoughts are with uh, the Russian people that, that are against us and the Ukrainians as well. Yeah. Everybody that's out there, it's, it's, it's a brave thing to go out and uh, participate in these protests. It's a lot different than, you know, participating in a march here in boston you know the the threat of uh of being jailed and things like that is is a little a little loftier i would say so um everybody that's willing to to take that risk for what they believe is right i think we're all kind of standing in awe of that yourself included so um yeah keep keep to everyone keep keep doing the right thing thanks for having me guys thanks so much thanks for coming on man take care Give it a